I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the After the Storm podcast, episode nine, nine long weeks and episodes of this. Never saw it coming. And it's crazy. Time really flies by. We are officially in June, essentially the halfway point of the year. If you would have told me at the beginning of the year that at some point I'd be nine episodes into a project like this, I probably would have taken that. I can say I'm definitely happy with the progress so far. As always, I have to say how grateful I am to everyone who's listened, who's reached out, who gives their feedback. It really means the world to me. And it's crazy just how fast time flies. Nine episodes already, nine weeks. It's kind of the way I'm telling time now. But truly, where does the time go? I still remember exactly what I was doing December 31st, exactly where I went. I could pinpoint every moment of it. January feels like it was a year ago. February feels like it was a year ago, but they also somehow feel like they just happened yesterday. It's the weirdest thing. It's crazy because on that same topic, about a year ago, I was living in Tampa and I made this spontaneous trip back to the 305 because I was feeling homesick. I was in a rut. I was lost. And I just wanted to feel a taste of home, see my people, see my family, hang out and just go back to Tampa and figure your shit out all over again. But that trip would change the course of this era of my life in a major way. So much happened during that time. And ever since then, I've been able to build uh, unique and great relationships. I've advanced in my career. I'm happy at a job for the first time in my life. And I'm finally starting to settle back down here. And I could have seen moving back to Miami as a step back, but really I saw it as a step forward for my mental stability and my career. And so I can truly say that I'm grateful for that trip. And I'm not a big person that believes in everything happens for a reason or divine intervention, but for whatever reasons that that trip happened and whatever caused me to come down here, I'm incredibly grateful. And I can't believe uh, where I'm at today. It's it's truly a blessing. And with all that being said, uh, let's get into the topic of what today's episode is going to be like. And it's a topic that we don't really discuss too often. I feel like it goes undermined a lot. And that is the effects that our childhood, our upbringing has on us as adults. Why we act the way that we act. And those memories, those core memories that we have as children that stick with us and affect uh, our decision making, our personalities, and all that kind of stuff. So this will be a bit of a heavier episode, but it's one that... I feel is important and one that a lot of us can relate to and maybe one that some of us haven't even understood the full weight of. I feel even for me, I almost just recently realized the importance of my childhood and how those moments shaped me into the person that I am today. And as always, of course, we will have great music. Nostalgia is a big part of childhood, so you know it's going to be some nostalgic bangers in this episode. And so for those of you that don't know me, my name is Eddie, and I'll be your host and guide through the After the Storm podcast. So feel free to sit back, 
relax as we go through this journey of self-acknowledgement, life, and of course, music. I feel like it takes a long time to understand the effects your childhood has on who you are as a person. As teens, we rebel and we make rash decisions because it's all we know how to do and we've yet to conquer rational thinking. If you take a second to look back at your life and look back at those moments where you ended up in random scenarios with random people, a lot of times unsafely, you realize that as kids, we were just all kind of going with the flow, trying to find ourselves, trying to figure out where we fit in what click we fit into, what labels uh, worked for us. And rational thinking wasn't really a thing. Even in, at home, we were still trying to figure ourselves out. Those elementary and middle and high school years, those are very informative and imperative uh, eras of our life. And the thing is that eventually you start to connect the dots, which is something that it seems that I've been recently doing myself you start to realize how many of your insecurities, your fears, and irrational thoughts stem from those feelings that you felt in your upbringing. You start to think about your parents and the way that they are and how it affects your personality in the long run. Now, often you'll notice that you're either fully influenced by their personality traits or that you've completely swayed the other way to separate yourselves from negative characteristics that they may have. For me... My mother, who I love dearly, is very nurturing, and she constantly checks up on me and asks questions, which after a while can become overwhelming. And I realized that that's something that I do. And although I've set those boundaries with my mother because I've told her that I'm okay, and her response is always, yeah, that's just how moms are, I'm sorry. And then she goes right back into the same uh, cycle. And I understand there are worse things than having a mother who wants to check up on you. I'm not saying that I don't appreciate it, but it's, at times it can be overwhelming. And I realized that I took that trait that I've told her to stop and used it in my own life on relationships with friends. And I, there are times where I can be overwhelming and I check up on people too much and I've had to set my own boundaries there. I, I, sometimes I don't give people the space that they need to grieve or to just live and be a person. And one thing I've learned through this process is that it's important to know when it's time to talk and when it's time to listen. And just off of that, it's also important to know when it's time to give people their space as well for myself. Now, on the flip side, I have my dad. My dad I love very much. My dad is very avoidant and often unreliable. And these are traits that I've worked very, very hard to stay away from. I can honestly say that me and my dad have not had a deep conversation in many years. And I'm not sure why that's the case. Maybe that the avenue just has never been opened, but it just hasn't happened. And I am the king of having 
important and vulnerable conversations. I love having. I think they're important. I think that we all crave that the the ability to to do that. And the other thing is the avoidant thing. There are plenty of times where my dad will come up with excuses and uh, say things that I know really don't have a lot of weight to them. And so when he says, yeah, we're going to hang out, we're going to do this, we're going to make this trip, I say, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, let's do it. And I know it's not really coming. And so I strive that when I make plans or when I say that something's going to happen, it's going to happen because I try to deviate so far away from that uh, characteristic of him that I almost set these unrealistic, unrealistic expectations for all these events. And I try to be at everything all at once, birthdays, uh, graduations, weddings, quinceaneras, the whole thing. And it can be overwhelming for myself. And so I've had to set boundaries on that regard too. So with my mom's side, I've really gone all in. And my dad's side, I've swayed completely opposite. And I think it's very interesting how that happens. But I'm grateful to have both of them. Because the absence of a parental figure, whether figuratively or emotionally, these things can set off triggers for you as an adult. And when you receive love or affection in ways that you're not accustomed to, it can really set you off. And then this comes that stigma of daddy and mommy issues. These are terms that we really, really use so loosely in conversation. Oftentimes, we just say someone has mommy issues or daddy issues without knowing a single thing about them. We'll look at the way they're dressed, the color of their hair, their uh, just personality traits from afar, and we'll say, yep, daddy issues, yep, mommy issues. Sometimes accurately, not saying that that's right, sometimes accurately, but oftentimes not even accurate. These are just preferences from a fashion standpoint, from a hair standpoint, whatever it may be. But there's a certain look now that people like to correlate with mommy and daddy issues. And when we have these conversations, we really don't take into account the harshness of that person's reality. See, during our childhood, people may have experienced distance or unhealthy relationships with their parents. Or conversely, they may have had an extremely close, perhaps even disproportionately close relationship with their parents. And an emotionally unavailable parent, it leaves these unsubstantial wounds. Wounds that we often try to cover up by looking for older or more mature partners, almost as a compromise. And we start to do things that age us faster, especially in a city like Miami where things are so accessible, whether it's drinking or getting a fake ID to go places, people grow up very fast here. I don't know how much of that correlates to a lack of a parental figure at home, but I know that for many cases, it definitely plays a role. And in dating as well, because I know several people who refuse to date someone younger or of their same age. It's always someone older, someone older. And I don't know the the issues or the background of all of their parental uh, you know, upbringings, but I'm willing to bet that some of them have something going on. So it's it's crazy how that plays a part in in who we are today. And, and meanwhile, on the opposite end, you have some people who they come from great households and they end up being 
attracted to people who remind them of their own parents because I think unconsciously it brings them a sense of security that they're afraid they wouldn't find in someone who isn't really their idea of what a man or a woman is supposed to be like. And we've all heard someone say, she's got daddy issues, he's got mommy issues. When in reality, this isn't a psychological diagnosis as so much as it's this stigmatization of what someone's very real upbringing has done to their personality. Within dating, this can turn someone into an anxious partner because their foundation is instilled in mistrust or uncertainty within the other gender. If you're missing a mom, you may not treat women the way that they deserve to be treated. If you're missing a dad, then you may look for someone to kind of fill that that void or maybe you've thought that you've had to mature so fast and that the only person who could uh, meet your standards is someone who has been through shit, someone who may actually be a father. I don't know. I'm just taking guesses here. Never having that example of stability within your home It's basically just as if you never had a good math teacher to teach you multiplication. You won't exactly know how to start or how things are supposed to be done. You never had that example. You never learned the right way. So then you make a left and you make a right. You make a U-turn. You do a whole circle. You get map quests, Google Maps, ways, the whole thing just to arrive at a point that many people have had in front of them their entire life. A healthy and stable relationship. But that's childhood trauma. But part of childhood is nostalgia. And being that this is a heavy topic, I figured that I'd lighten the show up with some musical nostalgia. This episode is heavily based on childhood, and my childhood had a lot of fond memories. And I'm proud of that. And even as a child, I always loved music. So when I start to get nostalgic, I think of a lot of great songs, a lot of great artists, genres, videos but one that always stuck with me and continues to stick with me to this day is by the band that helped me cross over from rap to rock. Linkin Park. Of course, one of Linkin Park's greatest hits in the end. It starts with one I don't know why It doesn't even matter how hard you try Keep that in mind I designed this rhyme to explain in due time All I know Time is a valuable thing Watch it fly by as the pendulum swings Watch it count down to the end of the day The clock kicks life away So unreal Didn't look out below Watch the time go right out the window Trying to hold on Didn't even know I wasted it all Just to watch you go I kept everything inside And even though I tried It all fell apart What it meant to be Will eventually be a memory Of a time I tried so hard Be a memory of a 
Our ideas of family can be very different. My family is different, for lack of a better term. I didn't come from this really inclusive and large family. Yeah, I have a lot of siblings and cousins and aunts and uncles that I see every now and then, and it's always cordial, and I'm sure there's love there, and there's this big family group chat, but we never really grew up together. My mom and my sister uh, and my uncles and aunts, they grew up together. They had a big household, so they had that true feeling of what a family is supposed to be like. For me, I never really had that example. I have cousins that I still talk to, cousins that I'm cool with, uh, aunts and uncles, whatnot. I'm really tight with my internal family, but I always missed that, you know, this cousin and that cousin and only recently I started reconnecting with um, some of my cousins uh, from my dad's side that I hadn't talked to in a long time. And it happened because of this podcast. So this is, I'm pretty grateful for that. And I mean, those are my people. Like I, I've always considered myself as kind of the, uh, the dark sheep or the black sheep of the family, but they're on my level. They get it. So it, it's been pretty cool. But many people come from these big families and they have these stable and healthy relationships with their aunts, uncles, cousins, etc. And although there's no animosity on my end towards any of these cousins and family members that I don't keep in contact with, a lack of presence or bonding, it's made it really hard to ever build healthy relationships. And it has completely changed my idea of what family is. I think a lot of our parents and the older generation believe that family is about blood. And if they have your blood, no matter if you talk to them or if you have a relationship with them, they're still your family. And when big events happen, you have to invite this cousin and that uncle and all that. But I think that our generation has to build these boundaries and say, no, why should I make the effort if they ever made the effort? And I think there's a lot of truth in that. And I'm someone that turns towards my friends and I see them as my brothers, as my sisters, as my cousins and whatnot. And many of them come from huge families. 
they see and speak too often that they do family trips with that uh, they have Sunday gatherings and that their life as a family is more than just getting together for major holidays and making sure to send a text or a call uh, on birthdays. It's bigger than that. So perhaps these people don't see family the way that I see it. But I'm grateful because a lot of them have welcomed me into their homes as parts of their extended family. One of my best friends, Mario, who I had, he was my first interview that I did a couple of weeks ago. He's an example of that. He has a huge family, and I've always been envious of that because I don't really have that. But I've met all his cousins, his, obviously his parents, aunts, uncles, and when they see me, it's like I'm one of their own. And I feel very welcome there, and I'm super grateful for that. And I think a lot of us that don't really have those big families, we kind of look for something to fill that void. And Mario is just one example of it. I have other friends as well that I feel you know, like family as well. But to me, that is the definition of family. The people that you build relationships with, the ones you can confide in. It's not so much a blood thing. I don't believe that that you should just be tied to someone and just automatically uh, put them higher on your hierarchy because they share the same bloodline as you. So this is a definition of family to me. And my friends represent what I would assume all those strong bloodline cousin, brother, sister relations are supposed to be like. And I'm very tight with my internal family. I got a sister, my mom, my brother, uh, stepdad. And although there's definitely uh, something missing there, I feel, like with my sister, for example, she's brought my wonderful niece into this world. I love my niece to bits and pieces. I show her all the love in the world and I make sure that she knows that I, I deeply care for her. And my sister and I have a very solid and strong uh, foundation and, and, and relationship now as adults. But when I was younger, we fought a lot. And the age difference is, is significant. I believe it's about 10, 11 years. So she was already basically an adult and I was a child. And I remember, I still recall to this day, being a child and being blamed and yelled at for mistakes that I'm supposed to make as a kid. But that lack of patience that she had with me, it wore me thin. And it's had long-lasting effects on the relationship that I have with her. And I've realized that I have not been able to overcome those. And although there's that mutual love and respect and admiration, there is that missing element that I've seen a lot of other siblings have that back and forth. It's just, it hasn't been there. And I think a lot of that is because of these uh, memories, these core memories that I have. And there are times where I can, I hear her yell and I, it almost triggers me because I still find myself putting myself back in, in those moments when I was younger. And I was the one getting yelled at, not understanding why. And it, it toughened me up, but it also made me just more, I don't know, made me more emotional to it. And it's a true example of how, although things can be great and on a surface level, there could still be that back trauma that is affecting you from moving forward. And I realized that I've unconsciously held that with me this whole time. And we've also seen firsthand what the effects of bullying and mistreatment can do to the psyche of a person. People will become shy, timid, angry, seemingly unapproachable and hard to level with. These traits can lead to extreme measures such as high-intensity aggression or severe isolation. I believe that your middle and high school years, 
as well as your elementary ears truly are imperative and so informative and they really shape your ability to operate socially and mentally. But when you already start off labeled as the weird kid or a loser, it may be hard to get off the ground. You know, we all have our preferences as kids. Maybe you're labeled a loser because you're not into sports and you rather play Yu-Gi-Oh! and all that other kind of stuff. And that's not fair. It really isn't. But sometimes people are labeled as the weird and the isolated kid because they're bringing their trauma from home into school. And at a young age, we're too young to understand anything about that. And so we just think this kid's weird. And when we're kids and watching cartoons and running around and not, you know, still learning about ourselves and how to be people, we're not sitting there thinking about, oh, little Timmy, he must, he must have had a rough day at home. Let me take it easy on him. No, you're looking at him like, who is this loser? And why is he so weird? And then your friends get in on the action. And then this kid is being ridiculed and bullied. And, and he doesn't understand why. So now he's at school taking all this abuse just to go home and see it again. They, they get no break. And what that can do to you mentally is so, so damaging. See, when we're kids, we're essentially sponges. Learning to deal with new emotions and situations every day. An excessive repetition of traumatic events can lead you down a path that may be hard to avoid. We're learning different things and feeling different things all the time and figuring out how we're gonna what we're gonna do with it. And this is why anti-bullying campaigns are so stressed over. Unfortunately, today kids have or are considering taking their lives at a higher documented rate than ever before. And some of those that aren't taking their lives are unfortunately looking to take their pain out on others. And we've seen a lot of that recently. All these kids, these mass shootings, uh, these monsters who go out there and then you hear in the news, oh, this person was bullied, this person was bullied. It's no excuse, obviously, for these horrific actions. But mentally, it plays a role and it's there. Because you don't just wake up one day and decide, I'm going to go on a shooting spree and kill this amount of people. You don't. At least I don't, I'd like to believe that you don't. Because if you do, that's just some purely evil shit. So clearly it has to play a role at some point. That goes into the point that bullying at a surface level, it's an immediate issue that elicits sad and angry responses from its victims. But the long-term effects they simmer and they truly start to grow and linger and it can lead to really, really bad things down the road. Uh, A lot of people are considered or labeled as a product of their environment. And for some, shaking off or hiding the signs of coming from a broken home, it can be hard because it's in your clothes, it's in your personality, it's in the car that you drive, it's in the amount of money that uh, you can spend it's in the amount of outings that you go. It's it's in a lot. It's when the bruises on your arms that you go to school with. It's in your hair and the, the the shoes that you wear, your backpack. It's it's in everything. And people see that, and then they already make these these ideas of you of what you are, and you start to become that outsider. And when you're an outsider, you start to typically isolate and you become the loser 
or the weird kid. And the ones that don't will try to mask these insecurities by displacing their aggressions on others. And they become the bully. They're the bender in the breakfast club. The one with the terrible upbringing who comes from a broken home. And so because he can't take his aggression out at home on his parents, he's like, I'm going to displace this and put it on other people and just be a terrible person. And people don't take the time to try to get that to know that person because they're unapproachable, they're aggressive, and they feel no need to talk to them about it. And I'm no parent or parent at all. But I'm sure that people that are parents can tell you that raising kids, it's not a once a week or a once a month kind of role. It's an everyday kind of job. And I think the childhood trauma perfectly summarizes my theory that we're more likely to retain and remember that one out of 10 deeply negative memory more so than the other nine positive ones. There clearly are many events that can cause childhood trauma in adults. But generally, I would say it comes down to abuse, neglect, or mistreatment. And childhood trauma can also affect an adult's long-term health by manifesting addiction, mental health disorders, or chronic illness. And to tie music right back into this, and I mentioned this song briefly in one of the previous episodes, in Kendrick Lamar's new song, Father Time, Sampha is on the hook, and Sampha says, Early morning wake-ups, practicing on day-offs, tough love, bottled up, no chaser, neat, no chaser, neat, no chaser. Now, there's a lot to unpack there. But essentially, this references the use of alcohol to bury feelings because... In this song, that's what Kendrick is saying that his father did. And he believed that it was the way that every man copes. And what this does is it can lead to an addiction to drinking at a very young age. And that's a habit that many find difficult to break. And even deeper than that is the concept that young men can develop psychological issues derived from the societal pressures of stereotypical masculinity. And that's something that I've spoken to a lot on this show. It's a common theme. I've spoken on the show before about the nature of what growing up in a toxic machismo culture can do to a man psychologically. If we're not taught correctly at a younger age, then our morals are going to be all over the place. We may grow up to resent people. We may grow up with that mentality that the common gender roles are the way that we must operate. We may never learn to treat women correctly or to carry ourselves honestly in ways that we feel comfortable being vulnerable and in self-reflection. And we're never truly ourselves. We're always compensating for something because we never had that open space to just truly be ourselves. Clearly, clearly, trauma from childhood and adults, it causes us to be who we are today. And we're more likely to develop a pattern of victimhood thinking. And we tend to not value ourselves as highly as we should. We think that the world is out to get us and nothing is ever going to go our way. And we end up believing that we're not worthy of someone's love, of someone's affection, of admiration. And we'll start to develop imposter syndrome, another common theme in the show. Childhood traumas, adults, they can cause... It causes you to genuinely view yourself as undeserving of love, undeserving of being supported, and 
worse undeserving of healthy relationships. And the way people perceive themselves, that's what impacts our words, our choices, our careers, our opportunities, and our relationships. Because when you're a child and your upbringing isn't great, you tend to repress things. And the likelihood is that you'll just assume that life is always going to be that way and that you're never meant to get what you want. So recently, I read a book called Attached. Basically, Attached is a book about the three main types of attachment styles that people bring into a relationship. It's a great read, and I would recommend it to anyone. You have anxious, secure, and avoidant. And not to completely sidebar into relationship talk, because that will eventually be an episode of its own. There is no denying the impact that your upbringing has on your attachment style, especially when you're not used to being in committed relationships. See, for a long, 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 long time, I believed that my attachment style was secure. Truly, and I really believed that I was for many, many years. But that was until I started unpacking all this childhood trauma that I had. And as the effects of divorce and separation, common themes that have seemingly circled around my family and upbringing my entire life, as soon as those themes started to come up more in my head and the jokes started turning more serious, I realized that I became more anxious. Because for much of my life, I never had a true example of what a strong relationship was to look was supposed to look like. And in my household, it just wasn't there. And so I feel like I started to overcompensate on my end. And I wanted to avoid a scenario in which I was left by someone just as people in my family have been left. Because I didn't want to fall down that same righteous path that many of my family have faced. And so I grew into an anxious attachment style. But I think when you start to discover more about yourself and you start to get that self that self-awareness and self-acknowledgement, you can work your way back into secure. But I will say that if not for secure or anxious, then surely I'd be avoidant. And I think many of us become avoidant at different phases in our in our dating life. Because rather than being confrontational and demanding that which you know you deserve and require aside from those basic essentials of life and relationship, we would rather put our needs to the side to not affect the tides of the relationship we're currently in. See, this attachment style is deeply, deeply, deeply rooted in people who saw the bare minimum from their caretaker or their parents throughout their childhood. At some point, food and shelter, that became enough. Enough to justify your parents' or caretakers' duties. And so we developed this idea that this is how love works. And that asking for more would simply be too much. So in relationships, perhaps food and shelter to you may just be holding your hand and calling you babe in public. But behind the scenes, things may not be as good as what you make it out to be on Instagram or around your friends. And you start to settle for that because it's all you've ever known. So a combination of the wrong attachment style mixed with the effects of childhood trauma, those things can lead to people having an attraction to unhealthy relationships. And despite 
knowing exactly what you want or what you need, many will still find themselves gravitating towards unhealthy, emotionally unavailable people or worse, abusive people. And you know why? Because those people fit their trauma identity. And a lot of these choices are made through unconscious influences developed from our childhood. And such relationships, whether emotionally or physically abusive, can really just lead us down this vicious cycle of the same trauma that we've been dealing with our whole lives. And sometimes the comfort of pain is just enough to satisfy us. And so we talked about relationships, but I wanted to dive back into uh, what I spoke on earlier with my father and the whole thing with Kendrick's song, with Father Time. See, that song inspired me because it gave me a moment to reflect on the effects that my relationships with my parents and my close family members has had on me and the person that I am today. And so after multiple listens of that song, it inspired me to write something about my dad. And originally, I wasn't going to share it, but I feel as though it perfectly fits the narrative in which I'm trying to uh, portray here. So you'll even hear some influences from Father Time if you've listened to that song enough, uh, not just from the subject matter, but lyrically as well. So if you'll allow me this time to read and something that I wanted to do on the podcast as well is I write a lot. So eventually I plan on reading some of the things that I write. So this is the first one that I will be reading out loud to you guys. Uh, it's called, Were You Really There? Um, so without further ado, here goes nothing. I never questioned it. A Sunday lunch every other month was enough to get my fix. That's on me. You always had the choice to move on, but I wonder how often you thought of the repercussions it would have on me. Maybe it was that old school culture you grew up in. It's probably all you ever knew. I never blamed you for it. That's on me. And I know that I love yous are real and the hugs are authentic, but the core memories never existed. Except for one. You split when I still watched Ed, Ed, and Eddie, ate fruit roll-ups for lunch, and wore dare shirts unironically, not knowing then what I know now. That decision to leave would be my first core memory. That's on me. I was still a child. I didn't get the chance to feel the world around me. In retrospect, it seemed as though my affinity for setting unrealistic expectations for people came from you. That's on me. And I ask, why has it always been so easy for you to build me up just to bring me down? Maybe it's because it's the only relationship we've ever known to have. That's on me. And I've never held you accountable. Letting you believe that one lunch every other month was enough for you to satisfy your duties. Maybe that's why I've never gone back to my birthplace. Because a part of me still believes it's our rite of passage to do it together. That's on me. Maybe the reason I show up for others is because you made it so easy to find excuses to not show up for me. But the bare minimum will no longer be enough. And yet I know that there are others who long for even the minimum. But there's still time to build. 
but the lessons you never taught me are the lessons I've had to learn myself along the way. But still, I wonder who I'd be if I had more of you in me. I'll never dwell on it, but I'll always be curious. That's on me. And so, with that being said, I don't want to paint this picture that me and my dad have this toxic relationship. Really what it is, it's not the most ideal. I've seen great father-son bonds, and mine and my dad's is just a bit more distant. And I know that whenever I truly need something, he'll answer the phone, he'll be there, and in those regards, he's reliable. But a lot of the times, I have to poke for those things, and I have to reach out and ask for it. Not so much as, you know, him just on his own accord doing it. But besides that, I have a lot of great fond memories of my dad. And I have a, a pretty strong relationship with him. And I know that deep down he, he means well. But I can say that I haven't really had a deep conversation with my dad in a very long time. But that doesn't mean that I don't have my great set of memories with him. I grew up in Coral Gables behind Douglas Park. And I spent a lot of time with him. My mom and him were separated, and obviously he had me for the weekends and stuff, and we'd go do stuff, and I had these memories of being on Miracle Mile, that Denny's at the end of the mile, and we would sit in a booth in the back corner, and we would play this game where we'd see cars uh, driving down the mile, and I'd get a point for every blue car, he'd get a point for every red car, and we had our own little dynamic. But one thing that always connected me and my dad was music. And a lot of the stuff he listened to back then, I could definitely say I didn't care for. But truly, when I think of my time with my dad, I think of a lot of the music he put on that I maybe wasn't into as much at that time, but that I absolutely love today. But the quintessential artist that ties me and my father together is the Bee Gees. And that's a group that I listen to frequently today. But the one song that reminds me of those days when we used to spend so much time together then it remains my favorite BG song to this day. And the song is To Love Somebody. There's a light A certain kind of light That never shone on me I want my life to be To live with you Live with you There's a way To do each and every little thing But what does it bring If I ain't got you Ain't got Baby, you don't know what it's like Baby, you don't know what it's like To love somebody To love somebody the way I love you In my parade I see your face again I know my friend So, so black. I'm a man 
sides of childhood trauma but there's a completely different conversation to be had about physicality and abuse i believe it goes without saying that physical abuse as a child will have severe long-lasting effects for many and unfortunately as a child you're defenseless and you have a fear that reacting or reaching out for help because you feel that it's the only avenue for you to feel safe you feel that these things are impossible because deep down you still love that person, you still love your parents, and you fear anything happening to them. And on the flip side, you also fear that if you reach out for help and it doesn't work out and your parents find out, that you're only going to get abused more. So you're really stuck between a rock and a hard place. And you'd think that the love between a child and their parents should be unconditional. But no, there's a line. There are very much conditions that need to be met. And if you come from a lineage of childhood trauma, it can put you on track to follow that same path. Simply put, if all you know is avoidance, abuse, and a lack of commitment from your own upbringing, and you refuse to seek help, you just may follow that same path once you're in position to raise a child of your own. But maybe you do the complete opposite, just as we talked about earlier. Maybe you decide that this lineage stops here and that you will not instill the same traumatic upbringing that you had and that you will be there for them and that you won't be an abusive. And I mean, it's crazy how you can really end up on completely opposite ends of the spectrum here. Look, I'm never one that believes that we shouldn't hold ourselves accountable for our actions and our negative traits, our personalities. Because simply saying, oh, oh, that's just how I am, that's just a sign that your self-awareness is not as strong as you believe it is. And you've developed these selfish ideologies that just because this is all you've ever known, that it's okay to treat people a certain way. But with that being said, we also need to learn to handle ourselves with more grace. Our childhood traumas, they're often not even our fault. And the actions that come from those traumas, they're probably not our fault either. We're all liable to make mistakes. It's part of being a human. But rather than beating ourselves to the ground about this, we have to take the time to use resources such as therapy, counseling, and conversations so that we can work on ourselves. But also understanding that there's no one-stop shop to rid ourselves of all our traumas and negative emotional reactions. When we spend 
our entire lives dwelling on the negatives that we've encountered, on the people that weren't there for us, it'll lead to a potential long-term life of you never being satisfied with anything. And that could lead you down a path of physical health problems. You can go down a path of alcoholism, drug use, unhealthy eating habits, a lack of physical exercise. And then those things can lead to heart, liver, lung disease, and autoimmune diseases, anxiety, depression, and yes, even suicidal tendencies. We've all seen Euphoria. Look at Rue. That's just a TV show, but look at the effects that not having a father around and coming from a broken home and not having that stability. Look at what it could do to a person. You could become addicted to drugs and just make terrible decisions and just be self-loathing and never truly do anything for you because you're always stuck dwelling on those things that you never had or that you feel life has taken away from you. And now you're just thinking life is unfair to me and uh, I'm never supposed to win. But to those people, I say, Think of the story of your life as a novel. And within every great novel, we look for a great beginning and a great ending. With just enough adventure in between to keep us engaged. And although the beginning of your novel may not have the greatest opening, that's okay. Because there's still plenty of time to write the ship the rest of the way. But if you sit there and continue to dwell on a beginning that isn't as satisfactory as you'd like it to be, you'll never let yourself get past it far enough to tell the greatest story ever told. And this conversation only covers the base level of what childhood trauma can do to someone. And although many of our experiences can be particularly similar, they're all different. And maybe you were one of the lucky ones that came from a perfect child home, a perfect childhood, had great parents. And honestly, that's the dream. That's what we should all strive for. But that doesn't reserve you the right to treat someone who didn't any differently. And I think it's important that we learn to understand each other and the events that have shaped us. Because the more comfortable and the more aware we are of, of these events and why we are the way that we are, the more comfortable we'll be in our own skin and the more we'll be able to pinpoint the things that need to be adjusted so that we can become the best versions of ourselves. And so as we arrive at the end of this episode, I have to say that this is only just the beginning of this topic. Obviously, you could always dive into case studies and more detailed examples I try to give some of my own examples so I can at least make it relatable and give you a character in the story. But this could be its own mini-series of episodes at any point. And I'm sure it's something that we'll bring up again in the future and hopefully with some guests to kind of have a back and forth with. But I do have to say that we have to take care of ourselves and treat ourselves with more grace, just as I said earlier, because we're still learning to be ourselves and to arrive at that point where we can feel that we've reached that potential that we've been chasing after for so long. So as we end the episode, of course, I have to leave you with one more song. And as I mentioned earlier, nostalgia is a motherfucker. <laughs> And as a child of the 90s, I can definitely say that I grew up in a great era for music. My first love 
is hip hop. And I'd be doing myself a disservice if I did a full episode on childhood and I didn't end it with a song that pays tribute to not only the genre which made me fall in love with music, but a song that describes that hustle and grind that we all live through every day as we try to reach our girls. It's one of my go-to karaoke songs. If you don't know, now you know. Juicy by the one and only Notorious B.I.G. Once again, thank you to everybody who listened today, who has ever listened to the podcast. I appreciate y'all. I hope you take something away from this episode. Uh, reach out to me if you want to discuss it. And I'm looking forward to seeing y'all next week for episode 10. As always, conquer the day, conquer tomorrow, conquer the day after. Go out there, own that shit, live your best life. I love y'all. Peace and love. Fuck all you hoes. Get a grip, motherfucker. Yeah. This album is dedicated to all the teachers that told me I never amount to nothing. To all the people that lived above the buildings that I was hustling from that called the police on me when I was just trying to make some money to feed my daughter. And all the niggas in the struggle. You know what I'm saying? It's all good, baby, baby. Uh. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Salt and pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack Mr. Magic Molly Mall. I let my tape rock till my tape pop. Smoking weed and bamboo, sipping on private stock. Way back when I had the red and black lumberjack with the hat to match. Remember rapping Duke? The hard, the hard. You never thought that hip hop would take it this far. Now I'm in the limelight, cause I rhyme tight. Time to get paid, blow up like the world's trade. Born sinner, the opposite of a winner. Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner? Peace to Raw G, Brucey B, Kick Capri. Funk Master Flex, Love Bug Star Ski. I'm blowing up like you thought I would. Call a crib, same number, same hood. It's all good. Uh. And if you don't know, now you know, nigga. Uh. I made the change from a common thief To up close and personal with Robin Leach And I'm far from cheap I smoke stuff with my peeps all day Spread love, it's the Brooklyn way The Moet and Alizé keep me pissy Girls used to diss me Now they write letters cause they miss me I never thought it could happen This rapping stuff I was too used to packing gats and stuff Now honeys play me close like butter play toast From the Mississippi down to the East Coast Condos and Queens in dough for weeks Sold out seats to hear Biggie Small speak Living life without fear Putting five carrots in my baby girl ear Lunches, brunches, interviews by the pool Considered a fool cause I dropped out of high school Stereotypes of a black male misunderstood And it's still all good, uh And if you don't know, now you know, nigga Genesis. When I was dead broke, man, I couldn't picture this. 50 inch screen, money green, leather sofa. Got two rides, a limousine with the chauffeur. Phone till about two G's flat. No need to worry, my accountant handles that. And my whole crew is lounging. Celebrating every day, no more public housing. Thinking back on my one room shack. Now my mom pips a act with me on the back. 
And she loves to show me off, of course Smiles every time my face is up in the sauce We used to fuss when the landlord dissed us No heat, wonder why Christmas missed us Birthdays was the worst days Now we sip champagne when we thirsty uh, Damn right I like the life I live Cause I went from negative to positive And it's all And if you don't know, now you know, nigga uh. And if you don't know, now you know, nigga. And if you don't know, now you know, nigga. Representing B-Town in the house. Junior Mafia, Math Label. Uh. 